want to conclude a message series uh, called God-Centered Families. And, and today is actually part two of a marriage message. You know, started last Sunday, uh, last Sunday called uh, going, going the Distance. Uh, last Sunday, we talked quite a bit about, about divorce, how it's certainly a, 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 a tragedy. And uh, you might want to go back, listen to, that, uh, listen to that message. Sound engineers tell us that some of the most dramatic sounds in the movies include, among others, the blast of a siren, the roar of a forest, of a forest fire, the galloping of a horse, the sound of a distant train whistle. But the one sound in movies that elicits more emotion than anything else is a wedding march. Think about it. It engenders and it surfaces every known emotion. Envy, regret, sorrow, sadness, joy, peace. No wonder that sound elicits so much emotion because nine out of ten Americans at some point will marry. And marriage is to be honorable. Uh, we might live in a culture that doesn't particularly honor marriage, but the Word of God says this in Hebrews 13. Let marriage be held in honor above all. In other words, put marriage on a pedestal because God does. And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. In other words, God takes marriage very, very seriously, and we should now, there's grace for marital sin, just like there's grace for any kind of sin. But there is the ideal to which we aspire. There's the real, where we'll have to muddle through with grace and help and support. But marriage should be honored above all. Let marriage be held in honor among all. Last week, we started walking through 10 marital tests that every marriage will go through. Your marriage will go through these. Uh, Martha and I batted uh, a thousand, and not a thousand in terms of success, but a thousand in terms of every test I'm going to share with you. We've gone gone through them all, and um, so we started last week with uh, with five. And to help you remember them, all of these tests, I'm going to start with the letter C. So last week we started with the test of communication, and then the test of children. I mean, you just think sometimes we we differ on uh, how we will. Uh, discipline the children or, or train the children or sometimes you might have um, disagreements on how many children he wa uh, she wants four boys and three girls he wants a collie calendars you know time pressures crises those things that that just crop up out of nowhere you didn't expect it it's that black swan that comes and hits the family and it's a it's a crisis moment and then even Christ can be a test in a family. Where will we go to church? How engaged will we be? How much shall we give? What will be our level of spiritual intensity? And listen very carefully. Those, those are the first five. These tests are not problems that you solve. These are ongoing tensions that you manage. There's a difference between a problem that's solved, and you tie a bow on it and put it on a shelf, and ongoing tensions that are never fully, completely solved. They're just sort of managed, like balancing on a ball. And that's 
what these are. There's no magic pill that finally solves them all. Okay, so let's move quickly through uh, the rest of these 10 tests that every marriage will, will face. Number six is change. Change. You just think about it. Over the years, you will age, your mate will age. There might come an illness, or your mate has an illness, or an in-law has an illness, transfers, disappointments, layoffs. It is said that regarding change, uh, we have different perspectives depending on what's going on. Some people, in a particular type of change, it's going to feel like a cemetery. Something has passed away. Something is gone. And we're not going to get it back. Sometimes change feels like a merry-go-round. Our world is changing and we just don't see any purpose in this. Is it going anywhere? Sometimes change, though, can feel like a beautiful spring garden. Okay, we've gone through a change, but this is a new season now, new opportunities. But change will come to your marriage. I believe you will pass that test. But some people say, well, change is fun. Uh, sometimes. Sometimes. Here's the next C that will test your marriage. This is my outline. And I reserve all spelling rights on this outline. Okay? And you say, oh, now, Ronnie, marriage is so much more than the romantic aspect of, of marriage. I get that. I understand. Marriage is more than that. That's still the reason why 45 of the couples who seek marriage counseling, they will say, 45% will say that's one of the primary factors right there. Both spouses want a meaningful relationship, but sometimes there are differing expectations. And I applaud a marriage, a married couple that seeks help. That's not a closed system. You know, you can either be a closed system or an open system. A closed system says, I know all there is to know. I will figure it out. My mate and I, we can figure it out all on our own. An open system says, I know I don't possess all wisdom. I need input. I need some help. I need some coaching. There are things I know that I don't know, and there are things I don't even know that I don't know. And I applaud a married couple that says, we understand that it is a myth that the romantic aspect of marriage should just all come naturally. <laughs> Every married couple has to learn. You just do. And, you know... It can be a good assignment, but every couple has to, has to learn. And here's my, here's my challenge to you. Ask for what you want, want for. Don't play games. Ask what, for what you want. Ask for what you want and hope for. But don't demand. Don't punish. Ask for what you want and hope for. But don't demand. Don't punish. Walk together. Number eight is just culture. I need to move quickly here, so I'm going to uh, put it in overdrive. It's just culture, which is where it, it's the flow, the zeitgeist, if you will. It's just the flow of where we live. And 
our culture is not particularly family-friendly nor marriage-friendly. Number nine, cash. It can be a big stressor in a marriage. And I encourage you to approach money together. Together. No secrets. Together. Your money is a test of your faith. I mean, money is one of the best outside indicators of our inner spiritual priorities. So money is a test. It's a tool that can be used well. It's a testimony. Hopefully you have financial testimonies you're passing along to your children. But money can also be a tyrant. And you want to face the the money monster. So cash. And then last of all, cousins. Cousins. This would be your extended family and their influence, both for good or ill, that your mate's family exerts in your marriage. My friends, you are married to your in-laws. You do know that. How often will we visit? How often will they visit us? And when they do visit, how long do we want them to stay? You know, I love my in-laws. I mean, both of my, uh, my mother-in-law and father-in-law both passed away now, but they were, absolutely, they were great people. And um, they warmed up to me over the years, which is kind of nice. Um, but I, I, I love them. And, and Martha has two sisters. I have fantastic sisters and sisters-in-law. Um, even though Martha and I, our families, lived just about an hour apart, we didn't know each other growing up. We met and, and married while we were in college. And like any family, I mean, in my family of, of origin, we just sort of did things a certain way. And then I started dating Martha and married into her family. And I thought some of their rituals and, and uh, habits, I just thought they were a little odd. But, you know, they probably thought I was a little odd. I mean, when it came time for us uh, to celebrate Christmas, her family, their, their Christmas ritual would be to open presents on Christmas Eve. I had never heard of such heresy in all of my life. I mean, who in the world would, would do that? My family, of course, did it correctly, and we would open our gifts on, on Christmas, Christmas morning. But, you know, that's just one thing we, but actually it worked out well since our families were uh, an hour apart. We'd celebrate Christmas Eve with her family and Christmas morning, Christmas morning with mine. In your marriage, as I mentioned last week, if you got to hurt somebody's feelings, don't hurt your wife. If you got to hurt somebody's heart, don't hurt your husband. And so wife, you run interference with your family. Husband, you run interference with your family because you mate, you've left father and mother, you always honor your father and mother. You know, the Bible doesn't say always obey your parents. It says you always honor your parents. You've left mother and father, you're united to your wife. Okay, well, all of these tests... You'll face them all. You'll get through them. And remember, they're not problems you just solve. They're just ongoing tensions that you manage with the help of the Holy Spirit. Now, I also started last week seven marital promises. 
we got through four, I'm going to give you three very, very quickly. Now, let me remind you of something. You cannot build a healthy marriage based solely on what you do not do. Let me state that again. You cannot build a healthy marriage based solely on what you do not do. You know, I, I, I don't raise my voice. I don't throw things. That's really, really good. That's fantastic. But you build a strong marriage on what you do, on the actions you take, and how you invest. And my friends, small changes and little beginning efforts. If you've been stuck, things have been a little stale. Small changes, good faith efforts. Oh my goodness, they are hugely encouraging. They give so much hope and they are such a catalyst for hope and progress. All right, very quickly review on some of these promises. Number one, I will love you and I'll let go. Number two, after God, you will be my first priority. But notice I said after God, because all that you are as a husband flows from your walk with God. All that you are as a wife flows from your walk with God or your lack thereof. My first priority as a grandfather is not to be a grandfather. My first priority as a grandfather is to be a man of God. After God, you'll be my first priority. Number three, I will bring energy to the quality of our marriage. Because you can't have a good marriage based only on what you do not do. Number four, I promise to work through conflicts. And number five, I promise to be faithful to you in body and spirit. The L.A. Times gave this definition of adultery. It's the type of close behavior with someone not your spouse. And you would not want your spouse to behave likewise with someone else. And if you've crossed that line, let me just tell you, there's hope. Oh, my goodness, there's hope. So many marriages have been rebuilt. And as it was said in the Old Testament regarding the temple, the latter half was actually even more beautiful than the first half. But all of us, there will be times after we've said our marriage vows, somebody's going to walk by or you're going to be in proximity to someone. You're going to be around them. And all of a sudden, you're going to find them incredibly attractive and appealing. You just sort of need to remind yourself, Lord, thank you for creating me this way. Thank you for creating me this way with this possibility for these desires. Thank you also for the reminder that that person is out of bounds. And that if I want to play ball, I need to be in a marriage court on the marriage field. You invest in your marriage. You keep the fire and the fireplace. You get the fire out of the fire, out of the fi fireplace, bad things happen. You want to keep that fire and the fireplace in your marriage. Invest in your marriage and spice it up. But I promise to be faithful to you in body and 
spirit. Number six, I promise to be graciously truthful with you. That means no nukes, no nuclear words, no nuclear weapons. We all have the capacity to speak between a one and a ten. I urge you to start as softly as possible. Start at a one. Start at a two. And if you ever find yourself going above a five, call a timeout. No nukes. Don't ever call your spouse a name. You're redefining them. They don't deserve to be called a name. Don't do that. They have a name. Or you can have a sweet, kind nickname for them. But don't insult them with nuclear words and terms. And this absolutely absurd idea that authenticity means no filter on your words, that's just foolishness. The Bible calls you not to raw honesty. It calls you to wise honesty. The Bible says you speak the truth in love. You pay attention to tone, timing, editing, because you want to feel good about that conversation tomorrow and next week. And remember, one of the most wonderful words in a marriage is the word request. No demands, no threats, no ultimatums. Here's a request I have. This is important to me. Will you show respect for that person while at the same time bringing your, you ask for what you want and hope for. Last of all, I promise to take my vows seriously because the essence of every single marriage is a promise. And a promise is an appointment with yourself. Hey, five years, I plan to be here. Ten years, I plan to be here. Twenty years, I plan to be here. And in your marriage, when you take those vows, you walk together into a future where only one thing is certain, and that is uncertainty. Your future is unpredictable, but this you can know wherever, wherever that journey takes you, God will be with you, and he is a deep, deep reservoir of help. Here are the vows I use when I do a wedding ceremony. I take you to be my spouse. I, Ronnie, take, take you, Martha, to be my wife. To have and to hold from this day forward for better or for worse for richer or for poorer and sickness and in health to love and to cherish for as long as we both shall live and in the presence of God I commit myself to you. <laughs> That's a challenge. And I'll tell you why. Because Ronnie Norman is incredibly selfish. And before you start looking down your nose at me, you are too. Because selfishness is like gravity. You can't get away from it. Gravity I can't get away from. If I step off, the edge of this stage, I'm falling. Why? Because you can't get away from gravity. Sometimes you do pull-ups. You do chin-ups. You know why it's hard? You're fighting gravity. That's why. 
Sometimes you can go out here to Hobby Airport and board Southwest Airlines and overcome gravity, but you got to do that. And if those engines fail, all of a sudden, gravity wins. Gravity is like selfishness. Selfishness is like gravity. I can't get away from it. It is hard work for me to put anyone before me. It is hard work for me to, you know, what does the Bible say? Don't just look to your own interest. Don't just see things from your perspective, but try to see them also from the perspective of, an, of another person. That doesn't come naturally to any of us. Doing chin-ups doesn't come naturally to any of us. You've got to work at it and overcome gravity and work at it to overcome selfishness. But the Lord will help. He will. That's why <laughs> in every marriage, there's a, two of the best gifts in your home are repentance and forgiveness. Repentance, or I'm sorry, and grace, forgiveness. And my friends, the Lord pours out abundant help and mercy and grace to us. Now I want to close with one more passage of scripture it comes from Habakkuk chapter 3 verses 17 through 19 a fascinating passage of scripture fascinating passage and there's a beautiful metaphor here be listening for it though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. You got that metaphor? And he enables me to tread on the heights. It's a picture of some of the deer in Israel, in Palestine, that you see on the rocky hills and the cliffs, and you watch them move and jump from perch to perch, precipice to precipice, and some of the ledges are incredibly small. How in the world can they do this? And the metaphor is... Sometimes we pray, God, would you change and alter my path? And sometimes he does that. God, would you change my assignment, change my path? And sometimes he does. But our great God also, sometimes in a season of difficulty, in a time where it's a difficult path and a narrow ledge, God may not change the precipice. He may not change the ledge. He may not change the path, but what he does, he changes your feet. He changes your feet and helps you in that assignment, helps you in that ministry. It is perfectly permissible and welcome to pray, God, would you change my path? It's also 
so reaffirming and encouraging to know that even if that pathway isn't changed, God, would you change my feet and be with me in this assignment with your grace and your affirmation and your courage. May God bless you in your marriage to go the distance and wherever you are right now, whatever mistakes and sins have been in your past, you just run to the Lord and say from this day forward, we want to walk with you.